You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, children can now be dismissed for Sunday school. Oh, wow, that emptied pretty quick here. All right, good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be back behind the pulpit and to bring you God's Word today. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a seminary student, and also I help with biblical counseling here at Redemption. I'm married to my wife, Becky, and we have two daughters, Zoe and Abigail. Uh, If you're new here, Pastor Trevor has been going through the book of Romans, and last Sunday he finished Romans chapter 12. But this weekend we're going to take a break from the book of Romans, and instead we're going to look at Psalm 42. Now, this psalm specifically deals with depression. And as a poet once said, if there is a hell upon earth, It is to be found in a depressed and hopeless heart. That is a heart empty and dried up of all its desires. Those of you who have experienced that, just like I have, know exactly what I am talking about. It is a depression that involves a complete absence of feelings, interests, and passions. It is a deep void within yourself. It is a pain that feels like meaningless pain. Now, how many of us have at times, or even right now, are experiencing a depression like this? Even though we claim to find our hope and joy in Christ. Maybe you're fighting doubts about your walk with Christ, or you're not sure how God is present in your life, or that He even exists. Everything around you and inside of you seems to be falling apart. Your relationship with your family and with your friends is a complete mess. No one seems to understand what you're going through. You hear many voices around you telling you to give up on your faith. Just do whatever you please. Your own self is questioning you constantly and tempting you to sin in many ways. You don't understand and you cannot explain what is going on inside of your own mind. You're asking yourself, why am I feeling this way? I've been a Christian for years. I should be happy by now. What's wrong with me? And you're overwhelmed and terrified by your own thoughts. You're terrified to make a wrong decision. You're terrified to fail, to be exposed, to lose a loved one, to be abandoned To be alone, you're absolutely terrified to not have control. You're you're terrified to be diagnosed with a disabling disease, and you're absolutely terrified to die. It is a constant and never-ending roller coaster of thoughts and emotions leaving you spiritually depressed. You tell yourself that physical pain you can endure, there's, a, there's an end to it. But this kind of depression, it's a pain that leads to nothingness, is absolutely terrifying. Being alone with your thoughts is scary. And all this is impacting you spiritually, mentally and physically. You can't sleep at night. 
You can't focus during the day. You have absolutely no appetite. You have no passions of any kind, no joy. You have become completely numb. And it seems like there's absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel. Now, for those of you who may not have experienced depression to this point, at least you can relate to experiencing disappointment. Maybe you've lost a loved one through death or because of a divorce. You've lost on your favorite job because of, your, because of sickness or, or layoffs. And maybe you've lost your youthful strength. But hear me out. Disappointments, if left unchecked, can and often do lead to depression. So in our text today, we have a great example recorded for us on the internal and external struggles of a man of God and how he deals with his own troubled soul. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, raise your hand and uh, the usher will give you a Bible. Feel free to keep it. And if you have your Bible, please turn it with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation, and my God. Now to give us context here, Psalm 42 is a song. It's a song of lament or an expression of deep sorrow. It was either written by the sons of Korah, which are descendants from the Jewish priestly tribe of Levi, who were also singers and gatekeepers of the temple in Jerusalem. Or it was written by King David himself. Now, the setting of this psalm is when King David was running for his life from his son Absalom. He was away from his city. And because of that, he was unable to go back and worship at the temple in Jerusalem. But Psalm 42 is also a spiritual roadmap on how to deal with our own selves. So I've titled the sermon, Counseling the Troubled Soul. The main idea here is that a depressed, a hopeless soul can only be healed and comforted through a redeemed soul in Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to learn that depression comes from within our own thoughts and from our external circumstances. We're also going to learn how to respond to our depression by looking to God, who will give us hope and peace in time of need. But uh, before we get into it, let's, uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit. 
You've given us your word, Lord, to guide us in this troubled life. It's troubled, and at times it looks like hopeless, helpless life. Lord, help those who are listening today and are struggling with depression to be strengthened and to see the hope that you have for them in Christ. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who's not your child, please, Lord, open their eyes, help them to repent and to believe and find true and only hope in the gospel. Lord, help me to preach. I need your help. Please remove me from being a distraction to your word and please work in the hearts and minds of your people. And I can only pray this through you, Jesus. Amen. All right, I have two points for us today. The source of depression and the source of hope. The source of depression starts from inside of us. Verses 1 to 3. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food day and night. The psalm opens with an imagery that is intended to evoke intense emotion. The picture here is of a deer that is thirsty, but only for a few sips of water. It is a deer that is intensely longing to drink plenty of water from a large river, which it cannot find. It is a deer that is in the middle of a dry desert, and it is about to die because of thirst. Now, in the same way, the psalmist is experiencing a spiritual thirst and a longing, a desire for God. This desire to be with God is so intense that he must have God or die. And this is why he asks the question of when he will appear before God. Because he knows that the only way to satisfy his spiritual thirst, the only way to find joy for his spirit again, is only found in the presence and communion with his living God. You see, it is an instinct to his soul, just like an animal's instinct needs water when it is thirsty. God, to the psalmist, is not a second thought. Spurgeon puts it this way, the divine presence is not a luxury, but a necessity to his existence. You see, the psalmist is in agony within himself. He's in turmoil He's deeply troubled because he feels like and tells himself that God has essentially abandoned him. He loves God with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength, and he needs him now. His spiritual anguish has affected him physically to the point that he cannot eat anything but he steers day and night as he waits for God. Now, some of you are thinking to yourselves, this is describing me how I feel today. And for others, you have been there. You've, you've experienced this type of anguish. And for others, you feel like this trial is just around the corner coming at you. And just like the psalmist, you are having an internal conversation with yourself about your relationship with God and about your circumstances. You desire, you long for God, but yourself is telling you that God is far away from you or that you are far away from God. And that is causing you to be spiritually depressed, to be hopeless, and to be in anguish over your walk with Christ. You doubt the presence of Christ and the foundation of your faith. Now, in the first step of counseling your troubled soul, you must remember that as Christians, we fight three enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh. Your flesh 
is constantly fighting with you and is talking to you. Listen to what Paul Tripp, a biblical counselor and pastor, has to say about yourself talking to you. Quote, I find myself saying it all the time. When people hear it, they laugh. But actually, I'm being quite serious when I say it. Here it is. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in an unending conversation with yourself. You're talking to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. You may be talking to yourself about why you feel so tired, or maybe you woke up this morning with a sense of dread and you're not sure why. Maybe your mind has traveled back to your distant past, and for reasons you don't understand, you are recalling events from your early childhood. The point is that you are constantly involved in an internal conversation that greatly influences the things you decide, the things that you say and do. So what do you regularly tell yourself about yourself, about God and your circumstances? Do your words to yourself encourage faith, hope, and courage? Or do they stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near, or do you reason within yourself that given your circumstances, He must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward God in those moments when you feel like running from Him? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. And we see this internal two-way conversation continue to take place in the psalmist as he attempts to counsel himself in verse 4. He, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng, with a crowd of people, and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival." You, know, you see here, the psalmist is literally pouring out his tears. He's crying to himself, and the only thoughts that are left to comfort him in his depression is remembering how he used to worship God. But Spurgeon puts it this way, painful reflections were awakened by the memories of past joys. Painful reflections were awakened by memory of past joys. You see, the thought of being in the heights of worshiping God and now being in the valleys of despair bring agony to the psalmist. He is emptying his soul within himself. He's crying out to himself instead of the Lord which is completely useless. He is relying on his own strength to overcome his own self. And he feels defeated as he confirms what his own self was telling him all along, that God is far away from him because he's unable to worship him like he used to because of his circumstances. Now, if you have been a Christian for more than six months, you have experienced when the flame goes away, when the thrill is gone. I know many of you are struggling with finding motivation to pray. It's hard to sing worship. It's hard to read your Bibles. You just don't want to open them. It's hard to find passion for the Lord. It seems like you're just going through the motions. 
just checking off a list. I know how it feels. I've been there. I am there at times. And you remember how you used to be on fire for the Lord. And these thoughts are like an alcohol wipe on an open wound. It burns. It hurts. It leads you to question your own walk with Christ. Or maybe you have become indifferent to the promises of God and to the gospel. Now, it's good to remind ourselves of how we used to be passionate for the Lord. These thoughts are good, but we must not rely on our own strength and on on our own thoughts alone to bring us back to that passionate worship. A troubled soul left to itself can only see the worst in all situations. I want to give you hope, though. You are not alone in the struggle of depression. It is not uncommon. Our giants of the faith like Charles Spurgeon, Luther, Jonathan Edwards, and many more have struggled with spiritual depression throughout their lives. I mean, these guys knew their Bibles. They preached. Even they had to counsel themselves biblically. And for most struggling with depressions, even with disappointments, it is not a one-time fix, but it is a continual battle inside of your own mind. So you and I need to learn how to talk to our own selves biblically. We must remember what the Bible says about ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells you that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And instead, Proverbs 3, 5 tells you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The point is your own thoughts and your own feelings that originate from your mind are lousy leaders. They will lie to you. They may show you the cause of your depression, maybe. But that's about it. They cannot offer you a solution and bring you hope. But your feelings and your thoughts will also point to your external circumstances to keep you depressed. And we see in our text that the source of depression comes from outside as well as from inside. In verse 6, the psalmist is still struggling. He says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. The psalmist's soul is in despair because of his own thoughts, and because of his circumstances, and his own conversation within himself has left him feeling worse off. But in his despair, he knows that God is not literally absent because he now turns to him and says, I remember you. But the psalmist is remembering God and his mighty works while he is far away from the temple of worship. The picture here is of the psalmist looking back in the far distance and seeing but a glimmer of the temple and remembering how he used to commune with God there, but he is prevented by his circumstances. He cannot go back there anymore. And in his despair, he has not abandoned his faith in God. So instead of looking within himself... And to his spiritual good old days, he looks to God and remembers him. The psalmist begins to talk to God instead of himself and tells God about his agony. And we see this in verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist uses the word deep to refer to a deep ocean. 
He's like a log in the middle of a storm that keeps battering him and sending him underwater. He is literally drowning from all sides. And the trials keep coming one after another, just like waves, but not like any waves. Each trial is hitting him like the, the tip of a big wave that smashes into the ocean. It hurts, it is intense, it is constant, and it is both predictable and unpredictable with no end in sight. The psalmist is essentially saying, Lord, my soul is in despair. My own self is telling me you're far away from me. I cannot answer myself and find hope within, but I know, Lord, that it is your breakers, it is your waves that have come over me. Lord, I know that you're bringing these trials into my life. I know that you're present, but maybe you have abandoned me in the presence of your judgment. He tells himself that maybe his thoughts are not lying to him after all. Maybe God has abandoned him. And in the same way, you're drowning in your trials today. You may be telling yourself that by now, you should have been married. Instead, you're not. You're feeling very, very lonely. Or your marriage should have been repaired. Or you're married, you have a perfect family if that even exists. But for some reason you feel alone. All these people in your house are strangers. No one understands you. Or you should have overcome that sin you were dealing with. But it just keeps creeping up again and again. And condemnation weighs heavy on you. You turn on the television. War. Division in our own country. Then you turn to the churches. There's division in the churches. You look at your circumstances, you look at everything, and it just leaves you doubting if God will truly provide for you. Is God going to come through? But you know, at the same time, that God is allowing these trials, but you don't understand why. Like the psalmist, you feel God has abandoned you in your circumstances. And to make matters worse, you cannot find comfort in God like you used to. And yourself and all those around you are mocking you. And they're all saying, where is your God? Look around. Where is God? The psalmist is going through the same situation, verses 9 and 10. He experienced opposition from those around him in addition to having to deal with his own self. He writes, I say to, my, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The psalmist acknowledges God as his rock. Maybe he remembers how God delivered him in the past. The psalmist knows very well that God is his rock in whom he takes refuge. His shield, that God is the horn of his salvation, that God is his stronghold. I mean, the psalmist has experienced that. He knows that firsthand. Then why does he feel forgotten? It's because he's listening to himself 
that God has forgotten him instead of listening to the promises of God. And then, in addition to that, he's also listening to those around him who are mocking him by saying that God has indeed abandoned him. A Bible commentator puts it this way, quote, The psalmist is like a dying man, and his God, the rock, is silent. His whole being is distressed by his enemies and by God's silence. Now, I believe it is fine to be honest with God and to ask Him about your trial and, and about your depression. Pour out your tears to Him just like a child would to his parent. But you must not let go of your faith in God. He must still be your rock and your confidence alone. Please hear me out. If there's one thing you take away from this, never listen to yourself and to those around you to abandon your desire and interest for the Lord because of your circumstances. Now, as we saw that the first step in counseling your troubled soul is to know your own self will lie to you, the second step is to understand that you will face opposition from many sides in addition to having to deal with your own self. For example, secular culture, your non-Christian friends, they might tell you something like this. If God loves you and He's in your life, then why are you lonely? That man or that woman you like, yeah, they're not a Christian, but you like them and they like you. Do you want to stop being lonely? Go date them. But you know that this is wrong. You know you will sin against God. You are unequally yoked. Or, why on earth are you fighting for your marriage? Your spouse cheated on you, or your spouse may be living with you, but there is no longer passion in your marriage. Culture will say, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you fighting? Divorce. Fight somebody who truly loves you. Feel the butterflies in your stomach one more time. But you know this is also wrong and that God hates divorce. And to make matters worse, the devil is continually against you to bring temptation and to condemn you for that sin you're still struggling with. He casts doubts about God's care and love for you. Did God really say that He loves you? Is God really in your circumstances? And in your state of spiritual depression, in your hopelessness, your soul is cast down. You listen to yourself, the world, the devil, and you fall into more sin and into more depression, and you're stuck in this free-falling black hole, not knowing how to get out of it. But thankfully... We have God's Word, and He shows us how to respond to our own selves biblically and find true hope and peace, which brings us to our second point of the source of hope, the source of hope through God's character, verses 5 and 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist now counsels himself and answers his troubled soul. You see, the psalmist knows the cause of his grief. He knows what his own self is telling him and what the world and the devil, what kind of lies they're leading him to believe. And he knows that God is present. He also knows the real root, the real cause for his cast down soul. It boils down to this. The psalmist knows that he feels cast down because of sheer unbelief in God. 
His self has forgotten God, not the other way around. And because of that, his relationship with God was not where he wanted it to be. But the psalmist knows that God's grace is the ground for unshaken hope. The psalmist was very familiar with God's truths. He used to lead people in the temple. He knows Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18, that the triune God is close to the brokenhearted, and that He hears the cries of His people. He sees their misery and acts. He knows that God will turn His sorrow to joy regardless of His circumstances. You see, the psalmist is preaching to himself. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a uh, doctor, a physician, turned pastor. This is how he explains the tension between the flesh and the redeemed soul. Quote, have you realized that the most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts, they come to you in the moment you wake up, in the morning, you have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why? Are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand, you have to address yourself, you have to preach to yourself, you have to question yourself, and you must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then, you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world, and say with the psalmist, hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. To counsel your troubled soul, you must know that biblical hope is essentially waiting for God to act and placing your entire trust in Him. You see, the psalmist is not saying, don't worry, be happy, or tough it out. Instead, he tells himself to look to God, and in the same way, we regain our footing we regain our joy by preaching truth about God to our own selves. Psalm 38, 15 reminds us, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. As you wait for God to act, you should remind yourself of His character. And one way you can do that is to look to God's sovereignty, that He is in control of every area in your life. You can memorize, recite, and preach to yourself Isaiah 46, 8 to 11. Remember this. Stand firm. Recall it to mind. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will do it. And after you're done memorizing this verse, reciting it, reading it, then you go on to Romans 8, 28. And we know that those who love God, all things, all things, even the most vile of circumstances, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to think about your circumstances in this way. They're like musical notes on a musical sheet. You have your high notes and your low notes, the good times and the bad times in your life. But it is God who has orchestrated and arranged all of the notes, all of the circumstances, trials, and oppositions. He has orchestrated them to form a beautiful melody of your redeemed life. You may not see how it all plays out, and some trials keep repeating themselves just like a chorus, but you hope in God's sovereignty, and you praise Him and trust Him that He is in control of your life. Preach that to yourself when you feel lonely and sad. What if, I'm not saying that's for everyone, but what if through your loneliness, God is preparing you to experience more of Him? To depend on Him. Maybe to help another person down the road. What if God uses your loneliness as a spiritual preparation so that your marriage is not an idol? The purpose, one of the many purposes of your sufferings today as Christians is because God is removing your reliance on yourself and your circumstances so that you depend on Him. For, for His grace is sufficient for you, and His power is made perfect in your weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And remember 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18, that, his light, that this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all com- comparison as you look not to the things that are seen, your circumstances, you don't look to that, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, your circumstances, are transient. They will end. They will pass away. But the things that are unseen, Christ, your salvation in Him, are eternal. Now, if you have repented of your sins and placed your trust in Christ, I want you to know that God is the one who will sustain your soul for eternity in heaven. And He is preparing you for that today, during your suffering. He is sustaining you. And because of that, you can endure opposition from yourself, from the world, and from the devil as you rely in God's strength. The point is you must know what the Bible says about God to be able to counsel yourself and to tell yourself that he has no business being hopeless. You can buy MacArthur, topical Bible. It will help you to learn what the Bible has to say about anxiety, about fear, and other topics. A good systematic theology will also help you to learn about God, about man, sin, and Christ. Meditate on these things. And lastly, we find hope through prayer and worship. By talking and singing to a loving God who is always present because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. The psalmist says in verse 8, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Remember that the psalmist was feeding on his tears day and night in verse 3. Now the psalmist reassures himself of God's daily love toward him. You see, his circumstances did not change. It's him who changed. Because he's looking to God And he knows that because of God's love, his praise has not departed from him, even at night in the darkest moments. All seemed lost, but God's continual love comforts his troubled soul and leads him to praise and commune with God in prayer. Do you understand and know how much God loves you? Ask him in prayer to help you grasp the love of Christ that he has for you. And here are some practical ways that you can meditate on the love of God. God's love is displayed through Christ. So in our scripture reading from today, Matthew 26, 38, Jesus said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And in Luke 22, 44, we see that this agony that Jesus went through, this sorrow was so intense that his body 
physically began to break down to the point that blood was coming out of his sweat glands. He knew the trial that he was about to experience. He was about to have the full wrath of God poured on him at the cross for the sins of those who would believe in him. He was in such agony that even on the cross, as he was dying, he felt God's face turn away from him as he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Christ experienced an agony and separation such as the psalmist could have never imagined. Now, if you have repented of your sin and believed in Christ, you will never in your entire existence experience anything close to that. As a matter of fact, when Christ was raised from the dead and was seated at the right hand of the Father, He gave you His Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you and to give you peace that surpasses all understanding and to help you in time of need. Now, I'm not making light of your trials, but I want to encourage you to look at your trials in light of Christ's suffering on your behalf. No matter what you're going through, you will never suffer and experience separation to the point that Christ did. Pray to God and preach to yourself, Hebrews 4.16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Christ knows what you are going through and He will sympathize with you. But there's also a warning for those who have not repented of their sins. For those who do not believe in Christ. If you continue hardening your hearts, you will experience the full separation of God's love and you will experience His wrath for all eternity. And if you're hearing this today, it is because God loves you. And He's calling you to repent and to believe in Christ, our God, who took the punishment in agony you deserve so that you don't have to ever experience separation from God, but only His unending grace. God is showing you His love, that while you're still a sinner and you hate God, Christ died for you if you repent and believe. Because of Jesus, God will never forsake you. and He will raise you up to be with Him after you die. This good news alone is enough for you to say, why are you cast down, O my soul? And God's love for you as His child is eternal and personal. In Ephesians 1, 4-5, God tells us that before He created the heavens and the earth, before He even created angels or anything else, He knew you by name. Think about that. He knew you and He loved you. Jeremiah 31.3 reminds us that God loves His people with an everlasting love, and He will always be faithful. He knows you personally, and He knows what you're going through. Your trials and sufferings are never wasted. That is why we can say with Paul in Romans 5, 3-5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, as you reflect on these things, as you meditate on His love, you will be driven to give Him praise by singing to Him. I mean, Psalm 42 was a song. It was, it was meant to be sung. So find a worship album or a hymn that is biblically sound, and put it on repeat during the day so when you wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety weighing heavy on you and you're depressed, sing to yourself and to God and praise Him through the lyrics. Now, as you worship and pray, ask God to help you believe His promises found in His Word. I'll give you a few of them. You will be, that you'll be more like Christ in the midst of your trouble. Romans 8.29. To remember that He loves you with an everlasting love. Romans 8.32. That He will never leave you or forsake you. 
Hebrews 13, 5. To believe that God's love and mercy never ceases, that they are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. God loves you, and you are never alone. He loves you individually, and this love is unchanging, and it is not based on your spiritual performance and your circumstances. He loves you in your highs, in your lows, even when you have sinned and failed, even when you are depressed. Rejoice in hope. Hope in Christ and His promises. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. There is hope. There is hope in dealing with your troubled soul. But remember, your own thoughts and your feelings will lie to you. And you will face opposition from the world and the devil. To counsel your soul biblically, you must respond to your own self and put to silence your opposition. And you do that by knowing God's character, by praying and worshiping Him for the salvation that you have in Christ and for His promises. So look to Christ alone for hope. And I promise you, God promises you in His Word that your troubled soul will be calmed and you will be able to endure even though trials of various kinds keep coming at you for Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I thank you that you know what we're going through, can sympathize with you. Jesus, you have experienced suffering on this earth. You know what we're going through. I thank you that we can turn to you, Lord, and find hope and joy. And I ask you that you continue to bless us, to turn to you no matter what we're feeling and no matter what our circumstances are. Thank you that you, Jesus, are the only hope, the only true hope. There's no one else, nothing else in this world that can truly satisfy. We thank you for that, Lord, and please bless the brothers and sisters today. Pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.